Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Well, what a wonderful morning. We had a wonderful worship time. We had a wonderful commissioning service and, uh, oh yeah, wonderful announcements. You know, it takes a lot of anointing to deliver announcements. Well, and this morning we had a, a good one. So, why do you laugh? This is serious. <laughs> Sorry, I'm... Oh. This morning I like to speak to a title, a message title, Powerful Consequential Conversions. Powerful Consequential Conversions. And I, I like to take us to the book of First Thessalonians. You don't need to turn to your New Testaments yet or ever because the verses are on the screen. But just, just listen. Under Roman rule, ancient Greece... And if you could flick that screen, that map on the screen, ancient Greece was divided into two main provinces, Macedonia in the north and Achaia in the south. The center, the capital city of Macedonia is Thessalonica, named after um, Alexander the Great's half-sister, Thessaloniki. Tucked away in the northeast corner of Greece, Thessalonica is an important center. It, it lies on the route connecting Rome to the west and Turkey to the east, and a major, major commercial center. It was also a port city. It's a port and a major port, so you'd find ships from all over the world would come to Thessalonica for trade and commerce and so on. Traders would often use Thessalonica as a stopping point just to rest before they move on. It was because it was a capital city. It was also a major military center. Roman soldiers abound in the city. And uh, not only that, Thessalonica is blessed or was blessed with a lot of hot springs. So that attracted a lot of health seekers seeking good health uh, with the spa and, and so on. So you'd find on a typical day, a lot of people just on the streets, soldiers, traders, shopkeepers, uh, tourists, locals, um, travelers, making this their stopping point. It was also a city devoted to idols, or rather the worship of idols. Greeks, the ancient Greeks, had nu numerous gods. On the streets of Thessalonica, at every junction, at every intersection, you have altars and shrines devoted to individual gods all over. People will offer flowers, fruits, even drink 
to, to their favorite god all across the city. So you'd find all sorts of people, all sorts of sailors, all sorts of religions, all sorts of superstitions, but no Christian witness, no Christian conversions, no Christians until A.D. 51, when Paul and Silas reached town. And the first thing Paul did, as was his usual custom, was to go into the local synagogue, the center whereby Jews would gather. You need at least 10 people to form a synagogue and to, to worship Jehovah. And uh, he went in and he talked. Why did he go to the synagogue? Well, one of the primary motives, motivations is this. Here you are with a people who already believe in the Old Testament Scriptures. There's one hurdle overcome. There's no need to sort of argue and reason and so on. Here is a group of people who already believe. And so, but however, their belief was lopsided. They believed in the coming Messiah. And this coming Messiah would be all-conquering, all-glorious, all-victorious. That's one side of the story. Yes, he is the son of David, the conquering king. That's true. But there is another side. We have a Messiah coming who would suffer, die for sin, buried, and be risen again. And that is the side of the truth that the, that the Jews mainly do not hold to. So the Bible tells us Paul went into the synagogue and for three Saturdays, three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them. He, he, he persuaded them and argued verbally, okay? Argued with them that Jesus, coming king, glorious, but suffering and died and rose again. And this Jesus from Nazareth who died 20 years ago, fits the bill exactly. This is the Messiah, he proclaimed. And to everyone's astonishment, a lot of these Jews and Greeks as well, because in the synagogues, God-fearers are Greeks or Gentiles, who, though not Jews, have sympathies for the Jewish religion. So in the synagogue, many, many were persuaded by Paul, and, and they said, this is him. This is the Messiah. We, we want to join you. And so they joined Paul. However, the unbelieving Jews who were mainly the rulers of the synagogue were extremely unhappy. They were unhappy because these people are no longer coming to the synagogue on Saturdays. They're now meeting at someone's home on a Sunday. And so they stirred up some uh, fears opposition, and with the authority of the authorities, they, they went to Jason's house because Jason must have been housing Paul and Silas. So they went to Jason's house in order to find Paul and Silas, but they didn't find them there. So they dragged Jason out. The book of Acts tells us they dragged Jason out and, and they warned him, put him before the courts, and and forced him to post bond. That means Jason had to put up a lot of money, maybe even the, his property, put up a lot of money which would only be returned to him on condition Paul and Silas leave town. 
And so Paul was driven out of town, and uh, he was lovesick for the Thessalonians because he spent only three weeks with them. Well, he spent three weeks in the synagogue. He also spent time with the Greeks because the Bible tells us many who were idol worshippers, and these can't be Jews, but Greeks, many who were idol worshippers turned their hearts to the Lord. Therefore, Paul spent time in the synagogue and also amongst the Gentiles. And uh, Paul was lovesick for them. In fact, he says, we wanted to come to you again and again and again, but Satan hindered us. This was his deep passion for the Thessalonians. So being unable to hold it any longer, he sent Timothy. He said, Timothy, you didn't go there with Paul and with Silas and me. You go in now. Nobody would recognize you. You go in. And check it out and come back and tell us, how are they doing, these new converts? Timothy comes back and uh, tells Paul, Paul, Silas, sit down. These guys have been genuinely converted. They've had a powerful, consequential conversion. They have been so solidly converted, I find no fault whatsoever whatsoever with them. And Paul was delighted. He takes pen to paper and he starts to write a letter, that first letter to the Thessalonians. What does he write to them? What would you write to a church that is only three weeks or several short months old in the Lord? What would you write to them? He writes to them about, and he affirms their conversion. He says, you guys had a solid, powerful conversion, and I want to congratulate you. And this is what he does. So we're going to look this morning into two aspects. We're going to ask two questions. What were these powerful marks of conversion that the Thessalonians showed? That's the first question. What were these powerful marks? Number two, why did they show such powerful conversion marks, and why was your conversion so consequential? Why? But before that, let's, I just turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Typical letter, you know, from Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Silvanus is the Latin name for Silas. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, that's the first thing he said to them. I want to confirm to you, you are a church. You've been converted. What is church? Church means called out once. Everyone knows in this congregation, called out once. Where did this term first occur in Holy Scriptures? It first occurred in Acts chapter 7, describing the days of Moses. And this is what... Uh, Stephen in his sermon said, This Moses, this Moses was with the assembly in the wilderness, the assembly, the ecclesia, the called out ones. That's the first reference to the church in the entire Bible. Days of Moses, it stretches back. You are called out. So Paul is saying, You, just like the ancient Israelites call out of darkness in Egypt into Israel, you 
Thessalonians have been called out from the darkness of the unconverted into the bright world, the saved world of the converted. That's what Paul is saying. You know, there are two classes of people in this world. Uh, you can't divide. It's not about dividing them into rich and poor, not even whether they are right wing or left, not even if they come from the first world or the third world, but there are two groups and there is a division. And this division is, are you called out or are you still remaining in darkness? That's the division. Your, ch your school, your shopping center, people in the train, they're all divided, only along these lines, called out and not called out. So he says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father. There are two addresses these people had. They had a geographical address in Thessalonia, Thessalonica, and they also had a heavenly address up in heaven. How many addresses do you have? And which is more important, the geographical address or the heavenly address? If you have only one address, please lend me your ears. Listen on, because it's vitally important that you have two addresses. What are the marks of conversion that so impressed Timothy? That's our first question. Timothy, why were you so impressed that you came back and you shared with Paul Rest easy, boss. They're all soundly converted. What were, the, what were the marks? Well, the first mark is they had clear evidence. These Thessalonians had clear evidence of Christ-like character. The Bible tells us in verse 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we give thanks to God always for all of you. Look, look at Paul's delight. He is so delighted. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, constantly thanking God. Wow, what powerful conversions. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. You know, these three um, character traits, first, faith, love, and hope, these are like the crown jewels of the full body of Christian character. Faith, love, and hope. They had faith. Their faith is manifested by way of their turning from, turning to God from idols. The Bible tells us they are Turning away from idols and to God is evidence of faith. That is their work of faith. Thessalonica, as we've said earlier, was a city full of idols. Every street corner. Ancient Greeks sought solace through their gods and goddesses. Because these gods or goddesses can become angry with you if you do not, uh, and would punish you if you do not appease them. For example, sailors would pray to Poseidon, the god of the sea, uh, so that Poseidon, please protect me as I sail, uh, so that there would be no shipwreck, there would be no, no cyclone. And uh, Artemis, 
the goddess that protects young girls before they get married. Artemis, protect my daughter. Artemis, protect me. I'm still tender of age. The Greeks, the ancient Greeks, have a whole variety of gods for every human need. And therefore, Thessalonica was full of them. The Thessalonians, both inside the synagogue and outside, listened to Paul. And, and, and they said, this is the Messiah. We don't need these idols at all anymore. And so they believed. They believed. But faith goes beyond merely believing something is right and something is true. true. Faith goes beyond that. Faith requires change. Faith says, because I believe, I will change. You know, I have a concern. I have a concern that we have oversimplified the gospel message. We have oversimplified and minimized the demands of the gospel. And because of that, we risk implying that because someone believes that Jesus died on the cross even, and rose from the dead even, we risk implying that somebody who believes that and still chooses to live their life in any which way they like would still be right with God. We risk that. We really do. But this is not the gospel according to Paul. Look, look at his defense before King Agrippa. He says in Acts chapter 26, verse 20, King Agrippa, I have declared everywhere, first in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all of Judea, and even amongst the Gentiles, I have declared this, that everyone should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. That is the gospel that Paul preached. Now, today, we have minimized the demands of the gospel because we think, let us not be overly demanding, lest we scare people off. Paul never did that. Paul, you know, the love of God is important. We'll come to that later. How does this apply to us today? How do we, need, do we need to turn to God and away from idols even today? Oh no, there's no need. We don't have wooden, stone, metal carvings, or statues. We don't bow to like the ancient Greeks do. Well, really? Really we don't? I tell you, one of the problems we face, including Christians, yes Christians, is this. We have a major idol. It's called self. And we bow before that idol and we make offerings and sacrifices to that idol. What are the sacrifices? Well, these are the sacrifices. Pleasure. Wealth. Vanity. Pride. These are all the sacrifices in order to please number one. This is the number one idol. The Thessalonians turned to God away from idols. And they had works that were in keeping with their repentance. So, Timothy was so impressed. They, they had great character. 
Faith is the number one. And then they had the labor of love. You know, when you use the word labor today in our modern world, it makes no sense. You want to build a barn extension today? You, you build an extension to your garage? And you want to build an extension to your, to your barn in the days of Paul? Completely different world. Today, we've got all sorts of mod cons and drills and everything electrified. And those days, just your machete, your axe, your, your knife, it is laboring. There is no car to take you to Bunnings and back. It is pure labor. And so Paul said, uh, Timothy said, Paul, I saw with my own eyes the labor of love among them. Wow, labor of... You can labor and work very hard, and the Bible says without love you are nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you can labor until you drop dead without love. I am nothing, you are nothing. You are a noisy gong. But Timothy says, Paul... These guys, they labor, they sweat it out. It was hard work, full of love, full of love. Paul was amazed. And then look at their steadfastness of hope. Can you imagine? They were under severe persecution, yet they stood rock solid. Rock solid, steadfastness of hope. And Timothy reports to Paul, Paul, they are soundly converted. Powerful marks of conversion. That's the next one. That's, we're not finished yet, okay? Next one. There is a strong desire to grow by imitating godly example. Paul, they are on it. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Wow. Timothy returns and they said, and Timothy says to Paul, Paul, sit down. You know, when I saw them, they keep telling me they missed you. They missed you. They missed you so much. And in fact, they want to copy you. They want to be the next Paul. They are copying you. They, they, observed, they remembered your, your gestures, your, your behavior, your, your speech, your, your action, your reactions. They are copying you. It's a good thing. They aspired to be the next Paul. What is imitators? Uh, what, what is imitation? What, what is to be an imitator? It is to studiously study and observe to replicate as closely as possible. Second week of January, every year, 25,000 people descend upon the town of Parks in New South Wales. Some of you know. They try to be Elvis. They try to be the king of rock and roll. So they, you would see a lot of impersonators, imitators. Actually, the English word is mimic. They try to mimic Presley. And so they wear their sideburns long. They, they have all sorts of garb that resemble the king. And uh, they have listened to every song time and time and time and time and time again. They have copied every movement and every intonation of his words, uh, singing. And so why? To become, and 
I have heard, we have heard, you have heard of some near Elvish sound alikes, haven't we? Because they have copied. Here these people are copying. You know, it's biblical to copy. It's very biblical. Look at this. Paul tells them in the next letter, in 2 Thessalonians, he says, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. It is not how you should, how you may, how you ought. It's a must. You yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Paul speaking to them. And now look at Hebrews. The author of Hebrews says this. Remember your leaders. Remember them. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. And there are a whole host of verses. Because of time, we will not. I'm trying to convince you it is okay to imitate. Sometimes we, in our piety, we say, I look to Jesus only. I, look, I don't look to man or woman. That is being religious and pious. We look to people we admire. Eminent, outstanding men and women of God. I, can, I have learned. I have learned many things from those who are in front of me. Not me, out of me. You've heard of George Mueller. He was a German immigrant to England, and uh, he got converted, and then he got put on his heart to start an orphanage. And through his ministry, thousands of people have been through his orphanages, hundreds of them converted. Where did he get that from? He got that from beca because before Mueller, about 120, 130 years before him, in Germany, there was a professor of theology called Professor Franca. Professor Franca was a theologian and a lecturer in the university in divinity and also a pastor. And also, a, a, he started some orphanages. And, and his motto or his belief was that we are going to trust God by not soliciting for funds. This is Professor Franca. We won't solicit for funds to run the orphanages. We've got to trust God. Where did, jo where did George Mueller got his modus operandi from? From that, from that person who had gone before him hundred over years before. Imitate, imitate, imitate. George Mueller was saying, if he can do it in Germany, I can do this in England by trusting God alone. Imitate, imitate. Because they imitated Paul. This is the third mark. There was a spectacular, number three, the third mark, spectacular spread of their faith. I want to be the next Paul, they said. And there were many of them. I want to be the next Paul. I want to copy him. Well, copy him, they did. And as a result, that ripple effect of their conversion was overwhelmingly powerful. So much so, not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, this is the entire country of Greece. Macedonia and Achaia, this is the entire nation. A small church, young, 
impacted the entire nation. And not only that, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. I mean, everywhere across the entire Mediterranean world. Now, they spread their faith directly and indirectly. So they, they talked about Jesus. You know, this Paul came to us, Messiah. He's not just going to be powerful. He's going to be humble and die and ro- rise again and, and so on. So people were converted that way. And because of that, there was a momentum. Roman soldiers took the news all across the empire. Uh, sailors from all over the world came and they spread. Travelers, tourists coming to enjoy the health spas. They went home the word spread. Not only that, it wasn't just the gospel, it was their faith. They refused to budge. I have turned to God from idols. I'm not going to go back. And they stood rock solid. And because of that, people observed and people said, their faith has impressed me so much. We come now. This is absolutely amazing conversion marks in a young, three-week-old church. Why? We need to ask this question. Why was their conversion so powerful and consequential? First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, put your focus on the word received. For you received the word of the Lord in much affliction. In Greek, there are mainly two words that are used, which we today in our Bibles translate to receive, or took, or accept. These are the variations of that same word. There are two words in Greek. In Greek, The first, there are numerous occurrences in the New Testament. Let's go to the first, first use of that word, receive. Remember some Jewish tax collectors wanted to collect the temple tax from Jesus. So the Bible tells us, they who were to receive the temple tax, asked Peter, doesn't your master pay the temple tax? They who were to receive the temple tax. That's one occurrence of that receiving. That word receive simply means this, receiving in a matter-of-fact, functional way. That's it. I've received. That's it. So, I'm stretching this a little bit. You have to amplify it a little bit, okay? So just imagine with me a tax collector, and they're taking the temple tax. They're receiving it. He takes it, and this is how he receives it. Okay, I've got it. You may go now. Get out. I've got a busy schedule. Go. That's what he says to Next, I've received. Go. I've got a busy schedule. I fear sometimes... Our receiving of Jesus Christ is similar to that. Jesus, I've received you. Thank you. I believe you died. Thank you. Now, I've got a busy schedule. Get out. I fear we have minimized the demands of the gospel so much that conversion is like a intellectual thing. I believe. Yeah, he died. Yeah, three days he died. He was buried. He he rose. Yeah, I'm saved. All right, let's come to the next way the Greeks trans the Greeks use the word receive. 
You remember? And, and this way is recorded in First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. For you received the word in much affliction with joy from the Holy Spirit. You received. This reception is full of joy and welcoming. Wow, I love this gift. As opposed to the tax collector simply saying, right, done, get out. You remember Simeon, when he went to the temple when Jesus was about eight days old, Simeon received the baby in his arms. And he thanked God and he said, Now let your servant depart in peace, because my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. When Simeon received that baby, that's saying, Wow, this is him! With great excitement and joy and delight, that is the reception. That is how the people of Thessalonica received the Lord. That's how they received the Lord. We found Him, this one whom we have been pining for all this while. We got Him. We love Him. They love Jesus. They want to be like Paul because Paul wanted to be like Jesus. We love Jesus. That's what he's saying. This is receiving. Instead of that, now that I've received Jesus, now Lord Jesus, will you please let me live my life on my terms? What's the big deal, you say? This is a church. We're all converted, are we? Oh, I was converted because I was born in a Christian family. If you were born in a garage, would that make you a car? <laughs> you see, we need a... We need a personal encounter to receive, just like Simeon did, this bundle of joy you now with a capital J and a capital B. This wonder of wonders. I have been waiting so long. Now I can depart in peace. We'll move on. You say, Paul. This dramatic conversion may apply to them, Thess the Thessalonians, because it's a different world. Look, we've got so many distractions today. It's a different world. They live so simply. Do they? Do they live so simply? They were distracted with all manner of idols. They were distracted with all sorts of superstitious superstitions. They were distracted. If God could reach out to a people destined to remain in such darkness, idols, pagans, Gentiles, if God could penetrate through and God wishes to do so to them, God can do to us and wishes to do so with us as well. God does. God does. Oh, you don't understand us, Paul. Today we face so many pressures. Life is so complex. Stress, troubles, oh yeah, pain, grief, sorrow. We have so much of these. Paul would say, these Thessalonians, they were no fair-weather Christians. They received the word 
in much conflict. The Bible tells us, in much conflict. Paul himself fled from town to town. You know, before he came to the Thessalonians, <clears throat> he had just run away from Philippi. So there were still open wounds and, and welts and, and bruises and, and so on on his body when he appeared before the Thessalonians. Paul, why do you do this? You come to town, why don't you just take a break? There are health spas here. Recuperate. Take a rest. You need that rest. Paul says, well, I'm doing this because the love of Christ constrains me. In other words, the love of Christ motivates me, drives me, enables me, quickens me, gives me life, animates me. That's what Paul is saying. The love of Christ constrains me. You know, some of us, <coughs> we have lost our joy. We've lost our joy because we think, if only this problem that is in front of me is removed, I'll have joy. No, you might have happiness. Happiness is different from joy. Happiness depends on happenings. It's not joy. These Thessalonians and Paul were in the midst of pain and suffering, and yet they were jubilant, exuberant with joy. That's the difference. Whenever you have lost your joy, it's always because of this. You have failed to rely and look and to be constrained by Jesus. You've looked elsewhere, anywhere and everywhere except Jesus. You know, we've got to close soon. One of the last words that Jesus spoke to the disciples was this, go therefore make disciples, etc., etc. And then he closes with this, and I love these six words. Lo, I am with you always. I like it in the older English translations because lo, you know what that word means? It's a verbal exclamation mark. It simply means this, lo, it means watch out. There is something amazing coming. I'm going to say something amazing after low. That's what low is for. I'm going to say something you better give your wholehearted attention. That's what low, that's the function of low. So he says, low, I am with you always. I am with you. The love of Christ constrains me. So why did these Thessalonians have such a dramatic consequential conversion simply because of this they received like Simeon they received Jesus I can't live without you that sort of a reception and you know why did they have that you see that's why first Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 they say you have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's the last word in that chapter. The wrath of God. That's a terrible thing. 
It's terrible to fall under the wrath of God. Why did they enjoy so much this, this baby, this, this Jesus, like Simeon did with the baby? Why? Because Paul told them, there is a day coming, the great wrath of God will be unleashed. And that's why they said, we are so glad. You know, the wrath of God magnifies the grace of God. The wrath of God magnifies the love of God. If we keep minimizing the demands of the gospel and just say, don't worry, God is love. Love of God downgrades into a into sugary, syrupy sentimentalism. That's what it does. But when we view the gospel, whereby God is a vengeful God, except we are hidden in Christ, we are protected by the cross, then we are loved by God. It makes a whole world of difference. This morning, I'd like us to stand up. <clears throat> Would you please stand? I want to give a quick call. Some of you say, those Thessalonians had a powerful, consequential conversion. I want something like that. I want my conversion to be consequential. I, they wanted to imitate Paul. It's no sin to imitate any other man or woman. It is no sin. In fact, we're commanded to. You ought to, the Bible says. If you say, I want my conversion to be powerful and consequential, would you come to the front? We want to pray for you. We, we want to pray exactly that. That what happened? to the church of Thessalonica will happen to you. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.